as um, indicators of what the the closing of the end of the age will be or the coming of the day of the Lord. And uh, we've been tracing this through a passage from Paul's writing to Timothy. So before we dive into that, let me just pray real quick. And uh, tonight we're talking about um, fathering, godly fathering. So, uh, Lord, thank you so much for your word and the light that it is to us in um, all kinds of times. And certainly these times, there's a lot of different ideas and thinking and and trouble in the world, trouble that you promised would come. You said that in this world we would have trouble and that in the last days we would see certain things. And those indicators line up. And without your word, without knowing what your thoughts are about reality and how these things work, we would really be uh, like people kind of fumbling around in the dark. So truly your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, we also thank you for um, the men that you have raised up and um, caused to be born again to become your children, where you are our Father. It's so grateful for the relationship we have with you, Jesus. We give you all the credit for that. And we also thank you for the men that uh, are exemplifying that for us and living that life out, not perfectly, but being led by you. So I pray for wisdom for these three men who are fathers tonight uh, as they share your word and as we work through this passage. Lord, you know... The situations that we each are in, uh, some of us uh, not having fathers ourselves and learning about what a relationship with you as our father looks like. Some of us are fathers. Some of us will play uh, those kinds of roles in the lives of other people. And all of us will be called to help other people be reconciled to their true heavenly father, you. You know what's before us, and we pray that you'd use your word to guide us into all truth and prepare us for those works you have for us to walk in. So lead us now, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, Paul writes that in the last days, one of the um, signs would be that there would be um, this sort of rebellion, this rebelliousness on the part of children uh, towards parents. And certainly we can see that sort of anecdotally. Um, and so the Bible says in various places, addresses parents and children. Let's just turn to Ephesians 6. This was the passage that Pastor Chris chose for these guys tonight. And in Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter, but uh, verse 4 will kind of be our emphasis. It says uh, this. I'm reading from the NLT. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you'll have long life in the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So that first section seems to address this rebelliousness head on, reminding us as children that there's a responsibility we have to respect the parents that God has given to us. But the backside of that is, well, shoot, if I'm going to be a parent, if I'm going to be a father, how do I do that? And we haven't always had great examples for that. So here is a place where God indicates a couple of things for dads. And um, these guys are going to address that. I just want to, I'm not a dad, as you know, I have nothing to disclose tonight. No big surprise. So I'm mostly going to turn it over to these guys, but I thought it would be fun just to frame this up real quick with this uh, one interesting verse, I think. Um, as the Lord closes the Old Testament, the last verse kind of alludes to the crisis that we find ourselves in. And how um, that preaching would have an effect in the last days. So at the very end of Malachi, chapter 4, verses uh, 5 and 6, 
the Lord says this, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So this, the day of the Lord is this, you know, prophetic idea of the last days and that whole period. It says, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before that day. His preaching will, listen, turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And he finishes that out. So there's this idea that this, the good news that God proclaims, a, a gospel of repentance, has this effect that it will turn fathers' hearts to their kids and kids back to their fathers. There's this reconciliation that would take place, just as there is for us, right? When we hear the good news about God, we who were separated from our true father can be reconciled to him. And that gospel effect can take place in the family as well. So this is uh, something very much that would be the fruit of God's work in our life, that fathers would love their kids and kids could love their parents. So tonight we're going to talk about some specific ways to do that. So without uh, further ado, I'm going to hand the mic over to uh, Mr. Concharla, who's a pro dad, who's got it all figured out, has every answer, and has never screwed up. I'm just kidding. None none of these guys are going to claim to be perfect, but they are guys who are seeking to um, follow the Lord in each of these ways. So Will Concharla. Hey. So I've got the first part. It says, uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So I've got four kids. Uh, Nehemiah is eight, Salome is seven, Ezra five, and Reuben three. Guys, if you're, if you're not a parent, please don't check out. Right? It's, uh, you might be a parent uh, someday or maybe you're in the waiting period. Uh, and, you know, this applies to spiritual parents as well. Maybe you're dis- dis- discipling not disciplining, discipling someone. It's still God's word, and it's a way to know Jesus more. So first thing it says, fathers. You know, they were the head of the household. They hold a lot of authorities and families. And so when Paul is addressing fathers, the word can be translated parent as well. And mothers, you know, they're just as equal with the responsibility of provoking. And, uh, and so I believe there is an emphasis to fathers, to the men to be an example, to set an example of being loving, present, and God-fearing model in the household. You know, I've been convicted of this very one thing, just to, you know, to not provoke my kids. And failed many times at that. And, you know, just, uh, you know, encourage you guys to be a present father at, in the home. If you already are, that's great. If you aren't, you can start today. You know, you can just do the next right thing, and you can just pick up today and communicate with your wife or the mother of the children and figure out how to do it together, you know. And also your past isn't an excuse or your upbringing isn't an excuse to continue to be a loving father in the home. And as fathers, just another thing, you know, I've been convicted of is like, hey, we invest a lot of time into a lot of things, whether it's sports, whether it's stocks, reading, whatever it may be. I mean, our kids are worth the investment and read about parenting instead of something else. You know, if that's something you're struggling in, read about it, ask questions, find someone that's, you know, walked that same road and you look up to admire and say, hey, how do you do this? Um, And so that's uh, something that I'm looking to as well. And um, so as we look at Ephesians 6, I just want to give you a little background of what being a father in, uh, in this time period was, was like. And so the Roman law... A father had absolute power over his family. So this one, this I got this from William Barclay. He said he could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. 
He could punish as he liked and could even inflict, death, inflict the death penalty. Further, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's whole life. So it doesn't matter if you're 18, like we, you know, a lot of people think now is, I'm 18, I'm going to get out of the house, and I've got nobody over me. But it wasn't like that. It was till the end of their life. Really, if the father passes away, then the child really becomes free. And then if, if you were a girl, you got married, then um, you would be freed from that. So a Roman son never came of age. Even when he was a grown man, even if you were a magistrate over a city, even this, like, even if he was the state had crowned him with well-deserved honors, even if you were a big shot somewhere, it didn't matter. And he remained within the father's absolute power. And the other thing was that there was a custom of child exposure. So when a child was born, it was placed before its father's feet. And if the father stooped and lifted the child, that means he acknowledged him and he accepted that child. And if he didn't and he walked away, then that child could be thrown away. And so this is, this is the, the background of what, where Paul's at and what he's, what he's going to be speaking through the um, power of the Holy Spirit, like about fatherhood, about parenting. And I can't help but to think there's the polar opposites of what Jesus did, you know, and especially in those laws where Jesus had ultimate authority. He had authority that was given to him by God and he chose to use that authority to love and to lift up and to comfort. And as the disciples were pushing the kids away, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these little children. Just simple faith. Jesus loves and values children. And Jesus' approach was as underhanded. You know, it was to lift them up and to be light. is <clears throat> just the opposite of what the Romans were, just oppressive and heavy-handed. So the Christian faith was life-giving to kids, you know, in that, in that, during that period. So just a little background of that. So I figured, you know, I could just read that and say, hey, don't make your kids angry and just pass the mic. <laughs> you know, just don't make them angry. You know, it says, Matt, don't provoke Eric to anger. You know, it's like that makes more sense. Like don't do something that would make them angry. But as an example, live your life in the way that would encourage someone. In this way, like live your life and the way that you speak and the words that you use to be able to be a blessing to your kids and to help them. You know, Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And that's a, that's a tough one. Like, I mean, being a dad, like I'd look at my four kids and the last thing I'd want them to do is be discouraged. You know, is looking someone that they look up to and... And then just that same person with the same authority, like the words that I use to address them or to correct them, can really discourage them and not, not help them. So another translation says, irritate, don't irritate them, don't exasperate them, don't nag them. So if you don't already have some examples on how to frustrate your kids, here's a couple. <laughs> right? Jokingly, it says, being helicopter parents. Right, always just controlling them, just not giving them a chance to breathe, just being all over them, um, and not letting them to be who God made them to be. If you guys have more than one kid, favoritism, you know, Lucy's looking over, right? Favoritism, like that can really make them resentful. It's like, man, I can never be like my other sibling. Setting unrealistic expectations. 
whether it's academically, just making them study, 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 be the best, not just to be the best you can be, but you got to be the best in the whole class. Or athletically, you know, there's a lot of pressure these these days, like on kids to be the fastest, the strongest, to go get training here, go get training there, spend all your extra time doing, go run an extra lap, you know, an extra push-up, whatever it may be, you got to be the best. In some of those, we got to be careful not to live vicariously through our kids, right? Just because I didn't win a state championship or I didn't get the best grades or doesn't mean that, you know, I got to live through my kids and put that pressure on them to be something that they're not. Being a Debbie Downer, always being discouraged, you know, showing no affection to your kids physically or emotionally. You know, kids want to be loved and have the admiration of their parents. Like, they want to please you. And they want, they're, they're trying to. So let them, just let them be who God made them to be. And that, may, that might sound simple, but really that would take a lot of prayer, a lot of discernment to understand your own kids. I mean, we talk a lot about relationships on a, in a husband and wife, and, and you have to really know your wife or know your husband and to understand how they are. But I think the same way with, we got to put that same effort into our kids, you know, we got to know who they are, know how they react, and know what what gets them going. You know, Psalms one twenty seven four says, "Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands." So, I don't hunt, but I know some people do, and <laughs> saw some kids at kids camp. They were they had a archery section and. You know, you gotta, tell, correct me if I'm wrong. You gotta aim and then you release the arrow, right? I mean, you, you gotta aim the arrow, you gotta figure out where you're pointing it. In that same way, like if, if our kids are arrows, we get to choose where we can send them. We can choose the trajectory of where they're gonna go. And it's our job to release it. Not just aim and just keep aiming and keep aiming. We gotta release it. You know, God loves them way more than I do. And so he cares for him. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but when you let the when you let the arrow go, <clears throat> when you shoot that arrow and you let the arrow go, and it's not going on target, you can't just reach out and grab it and get it back. When you shoot that arrow, it's gone. There is no turn. There is no changing it. The trajectory it's set on is set. So it's important. I like this analogy too, but it's important when raising our kids that when we do shoot them off, they're on the right trajectory because there ain't no second chances. That's good. Thanks, Eric. This this one uh, this one I need more work on communicating to them clearly. I, I had an incident last week. I was like, Salome, we gotta go to school. Hurry up and get ready. Get your shoe on. Why isn't your shoe on? Come over here. I was like, I gave her three different instructions, and I was upset by the end of it. I was like, why didn't you do all these things? But I forget I gave her three different things to do all at one time, and my expectation was do all of them and be in the car, and which was I was wrong. You know, I was wrong, and I need to say, hey, just do one thing at a time. Give them achievements that they can they can handle. It's kind of like, I mean, you guys, January 1st, we're setting our fitness goals, Week two comes around, it's like, yeah, you know, not a big deal. 
But I mean, it's like, hey, we want to go through the whole 12 months and keep working out or whatever. But set a realistic goal for your kids too. have them some do something that they can achieve. If I'm not going to be able to achieve something that I'm setting for myself, like how do I expect my kids to do something that I'm expecting for them? So these are, you know, just some ways to get your children upset, but just um, it's a way to shed light on on just how things happen in the home. You know, and as we're going to hear tonight, you know, not provoking doesn't mean to discipline or not to, uh, or to have low aspirations for them, but to raise them up in discipline and to be in, in the instruction of the Lord. You know, at the end of the day, my goal, you know, I pray that I want to be obedient to God's word. You know, I want to follow God's word and I want my kids to do the same thing. And so I want to be helpers of their joy. I love that verse. You know, in a relationship that we have in Jesus to be joyful. Like, I want to be helpers for them to be joyful in their own relationship with the Lord. And, you know, that that takes a lot of prayer. Um, some that's helped me, um, some practical that's helped me. So after I come home, some that I was told. So it wasn't some that I just thought of, but uh, I was told, you know, as I'm driving... Michael. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, if I'm driving home after work, it's a stressful day, whatever it is, or maybe it was a great day. It's, uh, I used to always think, man, I'm just going to come home, go to, the, uh, go to the TV, put some ESPN on, just watch Sports Center, and that'll be great. I deserve to be off when I come home. And you do. I do. Thank you. I think I'm done. You know, and, but what I was told was if I, when I go home, I'm not off, I'm on. And I stay on. And so just to, for you guys that do work outside of the home, that come back home to your kids, your wife, pray on the way home. You know, be ready. Expect that you're going to be on and not off. So, and we need the Holy Spirit to be able to do that, guys. You know, I don't have the, I don't have the wisdom for it, but the Lord does, and he says we could ask him for more of it. So. Yeah. Hey, just because we've got folks in the room tonight, does anybody have questions? I want to make sure we stop after each of these guys. If you've got a point of clarification, something you want them to add, you don't have to, but anybody? No? Okay, great job, Will. Great job, Will. All of their questions about fathering were answered. <laughs> yeah, we want you guys to think of some real zingers tonight for questions. Um Oh, and also, I was listening to the radio the other day on, on Will's thing about, like, I just want to go home and turn the sports center on and just hang out. I heard this thing on the radio the other day. There's a study that when you get home from work and you sit and you watch TV for a while, it actually, studies show, I don't know, but the study evidently showed that it actually stresses you out and it gets you more anxious to watch TV for a couple hours to, we think it unwinds us, but it actually, like, stresses us out. Anyways. <laughs> Dude, great job. I like the um, the contrast between, hey, this is what this doesn't mean. Here's what the Roman concept was, what God is indicating, ways you can screw that up, but also that it's not that we don't have goals or any of these things, but it's just a different way of going about that. I really like that um, aiming and releasing thing. Um, as someone who's not a father, it's all new to me. So yeah. Matt Bellingham. What's your... All right. I've got two announcements before I start because I've got the mic. Saturday is opening day of deer season. For those of you that don't know. And my wife's birthday is tomorrow. So 
two big things all at once here. So anyway, I've got the day off of work and I will be serving my wife. It's a good answer, right? Um, so we're, we're going to talk about discipline. Um, I got tasked with this. <laughs> um, so discipline is a very unique thing in, in the, in the house. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's often looked at totally wrong. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but, um, so we're going to, we're going to start with some scripture here. Um, and, and just, I'm going to, I'm going to read like 14 scriptures to you guys. They're all real short, except for the last one. Um, and it's just God's, God's word on discipline. Um, yes, yes, it will. Yes, it will. So, um, we're just going to start with the first one here. Psalm 94, 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble. I've got that underlined in my Bible. The whole reasoning for that discipline is to give him rest from days of trouble. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 6, 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And if you're like me, I had to research what reproof meant because I didn't know what it meant. So um, reproof is a is a verbal criticism. Um, it's not necessarily direct physical discipline, but it's a verbal criticism. So Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Pro- I, that's the Bible, not me. So don't get mad. Proverbs thirteen one: A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs fifteen five: A fool despises his father's instructions, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Proverbs three eleven and twelve: My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or grow weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves. Him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty four. These are more like directed toward man, not necessarily like um, God disciplining man, but man disciplining son or, or daughter. Uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty four. The one who spares the rod hates his child, but he who loves his child is diligent in disciplining him. And I realize that that can be interpreted in different ways and stuff. There's different interpretation, but the word hates and diligent are, are pretty strong words, you know. Um, anyway, we'll move on from that. So Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his life from shul. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty thirty. This one, I, I don't know. I kind of have a problem with it, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> but uh, it, is, it sounds really bad, but it's God's word. So Proverbs twenty thirty: Blows that wound clean, cleans away evil. Strokes that make clean the innermost part. Pardon me, I'm going to reread that. Blows that wound clean away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. And, you know, I just, 
just want to clarify that just for just for a second because um, I don't believe for one second that uh, God wants us to wound our children. You know, that's that's I mean, all through through the Word of God, we don't doesn't ever justify beating your children. And so, um, I just I I believe that that means specifically that the discipline needs to be effective. Um, you know, you, you see the, the parent that pats their three-year-old on the butt with a diaper on. I mean, that's not going to do anything for anybody, you know. So I, I, I believe that that's the direction. You're saying that's not an effective discipline. That is not an effective discipline. So you need to change your ways. Um, and then Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. I probably should have turned there before, but I didn't. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. This is my favorite one. Um, it just, boy, it just clarifies a lot for me. And, and, and uh, yeah. So, and you have forgotten the exhortation that, that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, um, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short, short time, and as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. So God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For a moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but rather it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I've got that underlined. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So there's a bunch of stuff um, going around on Facebook right now. I'm not a big Facebook guy. Um, I mainly go on there every once in a while to see how many times a day my wife posts on Facebook. Um, <laughs> but she she puts out some pretty cool stuff. So anyway, um, but Facebook, I, I saw two posts in the last couple of days. Maybe it's just because I've been researching discipline and everything but um it's there there's studies that show that spanking negatively impacts your child and actually does the exact opposite from what you want it to do and i would say that is 100% wrong because it is 100% against god's word first off and and i think that the worldly outlook on spanking is that it's punishment for something you've done wrong when that's not what discipline is. That is not what God shows us as discipline in the Bible. Discipline is, is a consequence for something that has been done wrong, but to teach them in the future not to do that again, that that's just not acceptable in this life. That should be the goal of discipline, not to punish for a past action, but to steer and train thank you in the future your children um so just got some some other things written down here about you know what discipline is and what it's not actually first 
Uh, I'm going to turn to Second Samuel here and, and read some more scripture. No. Um, so Second Samuel, uh, story of David, is is kind of the the for me the best description of of God's discipline in the Bible. Uh, just a quick quick little recap about uh, David. He king of Israel, um, and he was up on a rooftop looking around. Just admiring, admiring the city from his, from the king's, from the king's house. And he looks down, he sees a woman bathing and he sends some guys like, Hey, she's beautiful. I would like, I'd like to be with her basically. And so sends a couple guys out and they come back. This is Uriah's wife, um, the Hittite and he's at war right now. And David's like, cool, bring her to me. David lies with her. Sends her away. This is obviously just a really quick recap. Uh, lies with her, sends her away. She lets him know that, hey, I'm pregnant. Um, and so David tries to cover this whole thing up. Uh, sends his, sends Uriah, sends a letter to get Uriah back to, to his house, um, to lie with his wife to try to make it look like he's the father. Um, Uriah being the amazing man that he is, refused to go to his home. Um, when his brothers and, and his master are out at war, living in tents. So David's like, no, I'll stay here one more night. Gets him drunk, thinking that'll do it. Still refuses to go home. Lays on the couch downstairs. And uh, and so David sends a letter with Uriah back to the war and basically says, "Put your hand this to, your, to, to the commander, and uh, basically says, put Uriah, Uriah on the front lines in the fiercest fighting and abandon him. Let him die. And that's exactly what happens. And so Nathan um, Nathan comes, sent by the Lord, of course. He's a prophet. Nathan comes and basically calls him out on what he's done. And I just, I just kind of wanted to quickly recap what what God's discipline was for him. I'm not going to go into all of the, all of the, um, discipline that he did. It mainly just, um, the one that really turned David, David's heart and God's reaction to the discipline afterwards. So, uh, second Samuel 12, 13 through 15, and then we're going to skip down to 24 through 25. So second Samuel 12, 13 through 15. David said to Nathan, this is after um, some consequence was laid out for for David's actions. Um, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Um. And then skipping down, I know I'm skipping some kind of important stuff here, but for time's sake and for the sake of what we're doing here, skipping down to 24 and 25. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. I just... I just love this example uh, that God gives us, at least how I view it anyway, um, about how we're to discipline. You know, it, 
the discipline, I mean, he's a king. What are you going to discipline him at? I mean, you can take away his stuff, whatever, you know, stuff comes and goes. And David, he was a man after with after the Lord's heart, you know, and, and stuff comes and goes. That, But I'm sorry, I'm stammering a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, but the Lord knew what would be a discipline to David. Um, he knew what it would take to make David turn from his ways and repent. And that's exactly what you see. Um, I have sinned against the Lord. Sorry, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And the Lord recognizing his repented heart. Um, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. But there's still consequences for your sin. That, that's not Just because you had a repented heart doesn't mean that there's not consequence still and doesn't mean that he can just let that slide because he's not going, he's not going to learn anything from that, you know? And so, so the discipline was effective, but the part that I love is that then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lie with her and she bore a son and called his name Solomon and the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan, the prophet who just laid down a bunch of stuff on him shortly before and called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord, you know. So we see we see the example of discipline. Um, the law was laid out. David had no excuse to do these things. He knew it was wrong. It was super clear. And he just, he chose to do it anyway. It was direct disobedience to the Lord. We see the Lord's discipline. It's firm and effective. And then we see what the Lord did afterward was, um, was brought him back. You know, he just, he reconciled himself, I guess reconciled David to himself would be a little better accurate description of that. So, yeah, so we'll just move on away from that and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. So, uh, discipline, what is it and what it's not? So discipline is, is an unpleasant and uncomfortable action taken to correct a course. It can be implemented in many forms, but we see the main form in the Bible being um, the rod, spanking not corporal punishment that is not the same at all um corporal punishment is is paying for something you've done wrong but um we don't again we don't we don't punish our children in discipline um because they deserve the spanking for what they've done because i am sure as heck glad that god doesn't hold me accountable and punish me for everything that i've done and 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 as parents we don't we don't do that to our kids. We don't hold them by a different standard. We're, we're held to the same standard. They're held to the same standard. Their sin is, is paid for just like ours. But it needs to be held accountable. It needs to be disciplined and corrected is the goal. It should always seek the best interest of the child. Discipline should always be restrained, corrective, loving, and consistent. Which, the whole thing? Uh, discipline should always be restrained corrective, loving, and consistent. And don't break their spirit. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit more later too. My daughter Joy back there is is really where that came from in my life um, because she was our strong-willed child and our piece of humble pie too. Uh, so why discipline your kids? According to the scripture that I read up here, um, all, these, all these different little fragments and stuff of scripture, these are the things that the, the scripture tells us why we should discipline them. They will be blessed in life. They will have rest from days of trouble. 
It will teach them the way of life. If done properly, they will feel loved. You will save their life from Sheol. They won't be foolish. They won't be evil. It will teach them respect. They will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And of course, those are all general speaking. You're, I mean, kids are kids, people are people, and, and uh, none of us are perfect, and, and we all go astray at some point or another. But um, generally speaking, consistent, loving, proper discipline is going to produce these things in your child. That's kind of my, my whole spiel on discipline. Now, just how does it work practically in our home, in my home? Um, I've got five kids, Abigail, Joy, Talia, John, and Elizabeth, um, ages running from 12 to, to 3. And uh, it's a handful, big time, most of the time. Um, but we've got great kids, um, and, and, and none of them are perfect. They've all got their major issues, just like I've got my major issues um, but um, we discipline firmly, consistently, and, and out of love. And, and we're not perfect in any of it. Um, but that's our, our goal. And so um, so I'm the head of the household. I'm charged with that by the Lord. Um, and I'm going to have to stand before the Lord on how I, how I raise my kids. And that really hit me um, when I was, I guess Abigail was probably a little over a year. I had her trained when I come home from work. Uh, she would come out to the deck, Daddy, Daddy, you, you want a beer? You want a beer? And she, at just a little over a year, would go to the fridge and get me a beer and bring it to me. And, and I would, thought I was just the best dad in the world for that. Um, obviously, I've changed my ways a little bit. Uh, but in our marriage counseling, uh, I was told that I would have to stand before the Lord and account for how I raise my kids and, and treat my wife. And some reason that just clicked in my head one day. I think it was right before we had our second kid. And it just wrecked my world and changed my life. And so uh, thank you, Andy Roberts, for that. But um, So I'm the head of the household. I, I make the calls. Uh, I, I am held responsible for everything. Of course, my wife is my helpmate. She stands beside me, not behind me in anything. And we make those decisions together. But at the end of the day, um, I... When, when we don't agree on something, I make the call. Uh, and, and my wife respects that and loves that. And, and she doesn't always enjoy that. Um, and I, I think, I feel confident that she doesn't think I'm a jerk because of it, but she, she knows that I've been charged with, with this by the Lord. And, and at the end of the day, that's, that's just how it, how it is made to be. It doesn't make me better than her, but, it's just how it is. It's, it's that's that's the charge I have from the Lord, in my personal conviction. Um, but it takes teamwork to discipline your kids. You have to be on the same page, and if you're not, it's not going to work. Um, and and it's not going to work because your kids will will play that. They're they're smart. They're young, but they're smart, and they are so manipulative. And so you have to be on the same page. And if you do have a disagreement in how you're each other are disciplining. Um, aside from any physical danger, um, that disagreement needs to be made behind closed doors, away from the, the children, so they don't they don't catch on on who's the easy one, you know, good cop, bad cop. And so we we do that in our house. If if April disagrees with how I'm disciplining, you know, it was uh, uh, Abigail. She was starting to get a little older, and um, uh, uh, 
bear fanny spanking was she felt was no longer appropriate and um so she she pulled me aside after that and and let me know like hey i i i feel i feel like abby's girl's getting a little too old for that i think we need to change how we're we're disciplining and, and i respected that i absolutely respected that from a from my wife bringing that conviction to me and and so um and i appreciated that but that's that's how that works if, if we have a disagreement at how we're disciplining it's it's behind closed doors and it's away from the kids we work it out and then we implement that moving forward um you have to communicate your expectations and consequences to your kids um if you know where there's no law there's no there's no sin right and so if you don't have your expectations communicated to your kids they're not going to know what's right and wrong you know they aren't going to they aren't going to I mean, you can spank them. They don't know why they're being spanked. You know that they don't think anything is wrong. So you have to let the let your expectations be known. And of course, it's all age related. You know, a two year old isn't going to understand the same as a twelve year old. Um, you have to be consistent. Uh, you you have to be consistent. If you if you discipline for one thing one time and let it slide the next, you're going to send really confusing, conflicting messages to your kids. Um, and so be consistent. Um, and don't be afraid to make them frown. Um, a lot of parents, they back off on disciplining their their older kids. And I'm starting to see that with Abigail. I've got younger kids, of course. But um, because you, 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 don't, you don't want to hurt their feelings, you don't want them not to like you. But trust me, that, that not liking you for that day, maybe a couple days, hours even, is going to um, far be worse or pardon me them not liking you for that amount of time is going to be far better than the end result of no discipline in a child um oh um direct disobedient is uh is what needs to be disciplined mainly you know like firm strong discipline a lot of a lot of things you can just talk about with your kids especially as they get older but um any direct disobedience needs to be dealt with immediately uh, young kids are kind of like puppy dogs. If you don't spank them within like 30 seconds of, of their, of their wrongdoing, they don't know what they're being disciplined for. So you can't, you can't, uh, spank a kid two days later for something they did when they're just like, what the heck? I don't know what's going on here. You know, they just think you're whooping on them. So, um, so just make sure you're, you're, you're doing it right away. And that kind of leads into the next one is don't say, this is just in our house. This is this is our convictions. So everybody has to walk out their own their own walk um, with fear and trembling. But don't say this. Wait for your father to come home. Um, so what all that's going to do is make your kids afraid of daddy when he comes home. Um, you know, and I think that I think that sometimes it's it's okay, especially like as the group of my children my wife will tell them your father's not going to be very happy when he comes home. But the phrase, wait, wait for your father to come home. Cause you don't, the mom doesn't want to discipline. So wait for your father to come home can really, really, um, deteriorate the relationship between the child and the father. And in, in my humble opinion, that is just my conviction and, and my, and my wife's too. Um, that actually came from her last night as we were talking about this, just, um, just what that can do for children and the father's relationship is, is very negative. So, um, there's been times where, where 
yes, I, I am the head of the household. I am the disciplinarian. But that doesn't mean my wife's off the hook. When I'm not home, she has to step in and discipline. You have to. Because, like I said, if you don't discipline right away, the effect is going to be lost. And so, so with that said, my wife disciplines um, not as consistently as I would like her to. But she's got a handful homeschooling all of our kids raising five kids dishes all that kind of stuff and and so um she she does an amazing job and and that's no way to downplay her at all but um but you have to be consistent you have to discipline when your husband's not home or maybe you are the husband and you're not the disciplinarian and that needs to change um because you are the man of the house and that's the way god aligned it and so um but i have came home um to my wife crying multiple times and i'm like honey what's going on She's like, your kids have been horrible all day. And I call them all in, make them all stand in front of her. And I give April the chance to dismiss children that have not been horrible all day long. And um, and I let them know that's my wife. That's my wife. So they're mom, but that's my wife. And they will treat my wife with respect. And they will treat my wife um fairly and they will listen and obey to my wife and then they get they get disciplined not for the action that they've not because of the action that they've done but they they get disciplined for treating my wife that way and not respecting my wife and moving forward we're going to not respect or we're going to respect my wife a little more because that's my wife she's my flesh she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and that's my wife god has made her and i one and so um it's important very very important that you that you back your wife and take over when you get home from work so um be flexible no two kids are the same um this is where i kind of bring joy into the picture a little bit when we were first starting coming here we had abigail and she was the picture perfect baby she slept all night we got tons of rest we actually had to wake her up to feed her um you you would tell her no maybe discipline her once and that was it you know it was and she never did it and it never a problem again and there was i'm not going to name names but there was a couple here with twin boys she cleared up a little bit about the same age um they were a handful and we were you know and we never said this to their face but it was a conversation in the car on the way home for sure until today yeah until today yeah actually not really today yeah yeah just yeah anyway um you know, it was, we were on our high horse. You know, if they would just discipline their children properly, if they would just have patience and if they would just make their expectations and maybe they just need to be a little more consistent and yada, yada, yada. And the list goes on and on and on. And boy, does pride come before the fall. Joy was our piece of humble pie. Um, and I firmly, and I love my daughter. Don't get me wrong. She knows that. I, we, this isn't a surprise to her. She's sitting in the back back there. Um, she was our, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, um, terror baby. She was she did not sleep, scream, cry, um, but very, very, very naughty from the get-go. And it didn't matter what you did. Like I, I did not feel comfortable spanking her she just you, you discipline her and it'd just be like she'd ask me is that all you got like seriously you know and and so we had to find other ways because um god doesn't use the same way every time when he disciplines 
you know, he, he took David's son, but he exiled the whole Jewish people. You know, he, he, he takes kingdoms away. He takes people away. He moves us away from places. Like, he doesn't use the same method every time. And so I firmly believe that it doesn't always have to be the rod. It, it can be other things that are disciplinary for that specific child. And for us, it was the spinning dress for Joy. She loved dresses, and um, we had to move. We, we, we still disciplined her biblically, and uh, but we moved away from spanking so much and moved into, you don't get to wear a spinning dress today. And that was the kicker for her. That is what was the discipline for her, for that child. And so you need to find what's the discipline for that child, because not everything's the same. So moving on from that. I love you, Joy. She, uh, one more thing on that, on strong-willed children, not breaking their spirit. Um, it is, is very, very difficult not to get frustrated as a parent and, and to break their spirit. And I just want to encourage parents that, that do have that strong-willed child to step back and take a breath before you discipline. Because if, if you are disciplining out of anger, uh, disciplining when you are out of control, then you are in sin, and and that's a problem. Um, and plus, you, you're going to hurt somebody too. And so I've I've had to walk away a couple times. I've had to separate myself, not because I was getting out of control, but because I knew that I needed a break. And so I will either send a child to bed for a while, or I'll go take a walk just to break away a little bit and uh, let your let your emotions calm down. Because when you when you do anything out of emotion. You're not making wise decisions. Um, and so, so don't let emotions get in the way, I guess would be, would be what that is. So be observant. I just got a couple more. I'm almost done here. So be observant and gracious when it's not, when it, when it's your fault. Um, another thing with our children, you know, when it's your fault, when we give them too much candy, when we take away their naps for, cause we're going fishing or whatever for the day, when we let them stay up too late, we need to recognize as parents that that's our fault. That's on us. Their, their bad behavior is still not acceptable, but it's, it's because we're screwing with their routine, screwing with their diet, and they just, they aren't handling the situation properly very well, I guess would be a better, better statement. So, so just be more gracious when you know that, that you are doing things that aren't their normal routine and or their normal diet. Um, and just make sure it's not a punishment. Jesus took our punishment on the cross took your children's punishment on the cross. So it's not your role to punish, it's your role to discipline, to steer your ship, your child's ship in a different course. Um, and then always reinforce with love. That's one thing that I am working on as a father. Um, I, I feel like I do a pretty good job most of the time, but sometimes I'm just like, now go to your room, you know, and, and that's not God's heart. And, and we're to represent the Lord in our homes. And, um, and when we do that, we don't represent the Lord very well because, I'm so thankful that the Lord does not treat me that way. So after you discipline, even if it's an hour or two later, make sure you go back. I love you. This is what God's word says about discipline. You know that I love you. The Bible says if I don't do this, I hate you. God's word is true. It's right. And then if it's, if it's appropriate, I think age-related also, pray with them. You know, pray with them for you. Pray with them for your for your for your child um but always make sure that you that you reinforce that discipline with love um, and that's that's really all i got for you guys
Anybody have any questions? Save them for the end. That's okay too. All right. Um, I really like how you brought up, brought that point up, Matt, about how God knew how to discipline David. It made me think of this verse, uh, it says, train up your child in the way that he should go. And when, I think when he's older, he won't depart from it. Yeah. Or when he's grown, he won't depart from it. And it's the idea of like knowing, and we'll kind of touch on the same thing, like know how, like know your kids, right? Every, think about how we interact with adults, with other people. We interact with each, person we know a little bit differently because we're all different, right? It's the same thing with kids. And um, I think this verse has been, you know, where it says, train up your child in the way that he should go. When he's grown, he won't depart from it. Has been interpreted. You know, if you train up your child in church and teach him the Bible and all that, he's going to follow the Lord his whole life. I mean, some of us in here maybe have children that that has not been true. Maybe we've all probably known some people or seen some people that they've grown up in church, they follow the Lord, and they depart from the Lord. Um, I think a better interpretation of this verse is like, train up your child in the way that he or she should go because when they're older, they will not depart from that way. So each child has a certain like, like uh bent i guess each child has a each person each one of us has a certain maybe a certain thing we're into a certain uh interest or uh personality or whatever you know maybe one child has a stronger constitution another child has a little weaker constitution there's just something different about each person and we have to be able to understand what that is for each kid and train them up in that way Instead of saying, well, it was this way with this kid, so I'm going to do it the exact same way with this kid. And then we don't understand why it doesn't work out that way. It's because everybody's different, right? Yeah. So we want, to tr- we want to know our children, train up the child in the way that they should go, each individually, because when they're older, they're not going to p- depart from that way. So, um, And then also, too, oh, by the way, I only have one son, so <laughs> so far anyways. And so <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to worry about that one. I just have one to worry about. Um, <clears throat> and by the way, just to remind you guys, I know we all know this because we're at church on Thursday night or we're watching online on Thursday night or whatever, but um, I love how Matt and Will also just was sharing Scripture because uh, and just going through all these Scriptures because just going through this section, we say, okay, we believe the Bible, right? We believe in what the Bible says is true. We we have believed in Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want our life to look like the life of Jesus, right? And we and if we're called to be fathers, well, then we ought to do. Then we want to. We we should want to do what God is calling us to do, right? So we say, okay, well, don't provoke your children to anger. All right. Well, how do I do that? Well, somebody I heard this one time. I, I really like says the best. There's a lot of commentaries and different things you can read about the Bible. You know, you say, what's this verse mean? You look at a commentary or listen to a teaching on it. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so we want to know how to follow this verse. Well, how do I don't, how do I not provoke my children? How do I discipline my children? What does this even mean? Well, look up other verses that talk about discipline. And we have to remember when we're looking at these verses in the Bible, it's saying like, you spare the rod, you hate your child. That's pretty, like, that's kind of a cut and dry type of verse, right? But we have to remember that the Bible is the source of truth. The Bible is the truth. And we, you know, we, 
I jokingly brought up the this you know the study I heard on the radio earlier or whatever, but we look we listen to these studies and we we hear things on Facebook and we see things posts that people put up. Well, spanking doesn't really work, or well, you know the Bible says this, but it's really you know it's just outdated. It's not really it doesn't fit with our culture stuff like that. We have to remember that the Bible is the source of how we live. The Bible is our it's basic instructions before leaving Earth. A good acronym, right? So I just like how the guys are like, "Hey, here's some verses about discipline." Well, that tells us. I know we I know we know this. It's just it's good for me to remember. Like this is what's true. This is what we need to be doing. This is what we need to be learning, taking in, and remembering, and, and putting into practice. So I like the I like all the scriptures. Um, I was talking to a guy just today on the phone, um, and I oh sorry, I like the natural progression of this. Um, of this verse in Ephesians 6, bring them up, sorry, don't provoke them, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is something that I've just, I guess you could say I'm, I don't know if I've ever really been passionate about anything. I guess I'm kind of passionate about this is teaching the word of God, especially to my own son, just because he's my son and I love him. But how the importance of the Word of God in our lives as Christians, and I was just I was just talking to a guy on the phone today, and we were talking about uh, just he he just got done traveling through Canada on a road trip from Alaska back here to Astoria through Canada, and he was like, "You wouldn't believe all the stuff they made, all this COVID test a day before we left. They could we couldn't even stop for food. They won't even let you stop for food in Canada. Evidently, you have to pack enough food in your vehicle." to not stop because they don't want you to come in contact with people. You can only stop for fuel. And he's like, then we had to test. Then we couldn't get through the border. And we had to do all this stuff. And, oh, and the government and the national debt. And, da, da, da. and we had like a, you know, 45 minute conversation about, I'm sure, I'm sure how we all have about our world and how crazy it is and how, you know, we kind of solved all the world's problems. Right. And he's like, he was like, I just don't understand how people can, just be so silly and be so naive and how the government can da 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, I don't understand either. And I guess it's just, you know, it's a crazy world, but you know what? It's people are deceived. People are led astray. There's Satan has like this stronghold on this world. And when we don't know the Lord, when we, when we aren't following the Lord, when we have no hope of heaven, of anything greater, it's like we're just deceived and we buy into all this stuff. And then we were, we were kind of going back and forth and I go, man, we just got to follow, you know, put our hope in the Lord, follow Jesus. And cause, you know, we don't want to be deceived. That's one of the things, it's one of the things Jesus tells us in Matthew 24. Don't be led astray. You know, watch out. Don't be led astray. And so we're talking and he goes, yeah, you know what? He goes, I just, I really feel sorry for uh, the kids right now. The kids are going to come, be growing up and come up in this world that we live in. They, you know, they're not going to have the same opportunities as us. They're not going to have this. They're not going to have that. They're, you know, all this weird sexual stuff going on, and just all the, just all these bad things happening. Is man, I just really feel sorry for all the kids. Like your son, you know, I just, what's the world going to be like? You know, what's the world coming to? I'm like, yeah, that is crazy. And when we think about that, we're all like just thinking about all these things, like despairing, right? I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's hopeless, right? Like what kind of world is it? Are they going to grow up in? But 
We have to keep our eyes. We cannot be deceived. We have to keep following Jesus. And as fathers, we are to be the priests, providers, and the protectors of our home. And that um, first concern is the spiritual well-being of our family, right? And Matt touched on this. Like, we're going to be held accountable by God for the spiritual leadership in our family. And um, just thinking about, like, the world our kids are going to grow up in and and how it's just, like, hopeless in, in our eyes, you know, in our in our in our flesh, right? But, and when, and it breaks my heart when I hear about, you know, when we hear about somebody getting involved in drugs and maybe they OD or, or, you know, someone, they go to jail because they got caught up with the wrong crowd or in drugs, alcohol, um, sexual promiscuity, just all these things that can just bring our children down and they're exposed to them more and more every day. I mean, I, I just, dread the day that you know we all dread the day one of our kids comes home and says oh, i think i'm i'm gay i'm pretty sure i'm gay yeah. or no i think i was born a boy or a girl or you know whatever like how do we keep our children from these things how do we keep our children on the straight and narrow way jesus says wide is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction that's not hard to see right but narrow is the gate and hard is the way to righteousness how do we keep our children on that narrow way? And I believe with all my heart, the only way to keep our children on the straight and narrow and through that narrow gate is with the word of God and is with to, with, um, knowing and following Jesus. That's if, you know, if we've been saved for any amount of time, we know that knowing and following Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to us in this life and the next. Amen. And that's what we want for our kids, right? <clears throat> um, so how do we, that's the question, is how do we train them up to do that? I believe it's through the Word of God, and that's what we see here in this verse. He says the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, knowing God can be a little mysterious. It can be, uh, it's, it's unseen in some regards, right? I can remember when Allie and I were, were first dating, um, I wasn't a believer and she kept telling me like, we got to fear God, Eric, we just need to fear God. Like, and I was like, yeah, okay, like, sure, whatever, you know, I'll fear God if that's what you say, you know, whatever. And <laughs> I just had no clue. I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't, you know, I don't see God standing in front of me. This thing is, this is mysterious. How do you know God? Like, what the heck's going on? And she was just like, she was just very, felt very strongly about it, right? And, um, but it says in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. Right? So the Word of God in somehow is God and is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of God the Father. So I think of the Word of God is something tangible something that we can know, something that we can hold in our hand, read, take in, that can change us, is how we know primarily the Lord. It's how we know our God. Think of it as a, I'm kind of mechanical, so I think of it this way, it's like a, like a throttle lever. You hop in a piece of equipment, and, um, and you, uh, you, first thing you gotta do is fire it up, you pull back on the throttle, and the engine revs up, you can go to work, right? 
Well, underneath the cab is a bunch of linkage. And there's some rods and levers and pulleys. And, you know, if it's a newer piece of equipment, there's wires and computers and relays and stuff. And it's kind of mysterious what happens in there. You don't really know what all the linkages do, where they're going, how it works. But all you do know that when you grab that lever and pull it back, the engine winds up and you can go to work. That's the same thing with the Bible. You want to know Jesus? You pick up the Bible and read the Bible, learn the Bible, study the Bible, and you will know Jesus. It's mysterious. I can't really explain how it works. There's linkage somewhere between the Word of God and knowing the Lord that we just can't explain. And I want my son more than anything to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. And I know that there's some, it's kind of mysterious. I'm not really sure how to make it happen. I know I can't really make it happen in my own strength, but I know it's directly linked to the Word of God. And instructing him in the Word of God is is going to be the best thing for him. So that's kind of my spiel about why this is important. Because our children are facing just craziness in this world, and they need to know the Lord. They need to know the Word of God to to make it. We need it. Amen. I mean, we all need it, but, but our children need it. So this is important. This is a big deal. Now there's, I, I kind of felt like when instructing our children, when instructing my son, I can break it down into two categories and that is formal instruction and then informal instruction. So I would say formal instruction is like what I would call teaching. Uh, it says in Second Timothy three sixteen, uh, all Scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for correction, reproof, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, we want to use the Scriptures, the Word of God, to teach our children. Um, what this looks like for us is um, sometimes I've, I want to get better at this. I have done this before. It's kind of spotty, but at the end of uh, the end of the day is the time that I get to spend with my family and time with my son. I'm usually out of the house pretty early, but when we all we all sit down for dinner and we're all together at dinner, and sometimes before uh, we will clean our plates off, I'll just say, "Hey, before we get up, let's just read a chapter out of anything in the Bible, and we'll just read it and be like, huh." And sometimes we'll have a little discussion about what does that mean? Oh, that's kind of cool. Or sometimes it's just like, yeah, I'm not really sure what that means. But <laughs> the Word of God is living and active. It's powerful, right? And so when we read it aloud, the, it's working in our lives. Um, what actually I have done since Everett was a baby is I put him to bed every night. Um, not every single night, but nine out of ten nights I put him to bed. And even on the nights when I'm tired, I just want to sit on the chair. I just want to go to bed myself. He's like, Dad, it's bedtime. I'm just like, I get up, I get up off my bum, go upstairs, and I put him to bed, and I make a point to read the Bible with him every single night and pray with him every single night because I believe that's what he needs. And I'm like, this is important, and I have to do this no matter how tired I am. So I do, and it's a great, it's just a great time for us to build a relationship, but we started out with a kid's Bible, like a little kid's Bible, you know, and I would just read it to him. I don't even know if he understood it. And then as he got older, of course, he would get into it a little more. He's seven now, and and I got a, uh, I was like, I, and he's starting to read himself. I'm like, I think it's time to just get a real Bible. Like, it's we're done with the kid's Bibles, you know. So I got him a New Living Translation, which is kind of like, it's what Michael reads. It's easier for kids to understand. Um, so I got that, and he just reads it. Like, I read it to him. 
and and then he'll be like, okay, I want to read that, and then he'll read it aloud, and I just listen to him read it. I'm just like, this is awesome. And we talk about it um, sometimes, and it doesn't have to be complicated. I know, like, I've been a Christian for a while now, a few years, so I know some Bible stories. I don't don't know everything about the Bible, but when we read through some stories, I'm like, hey, Everett, check this out. See what this, see what happens here. See what he does. See what this means. What do you think about this? And we'll kind of be able to teach him and apply it to his life, like somewhat formally. But you know what? Even if you don't know the Bible at all, even if you're a brand new Christian, just read the Bible with your kids. Learn it with them. You can be like, do you know what this means? What do you think about that? I Sometimes I ask him, I'm like, Everett, what do you think about this? And he'll say something. I'm like, yeah, I think you might be right. Like, you know, I can learn from him too. Just reading the Bible with your kids, super duper important. And as fathers, we should be mothers too. Don't get me wrong. Um, but we need to be reading the Bible with our kids formally, um, consistently. You know, start with, if you're not doing it at all right now, maybe just start with once a week. Just say, hey, every whatever night I'm going to do it. Try to do it every day. Um, another one, another way is uh, that I think is really a great way to teach kids the Word of God is informally, what I would call informally. There's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So when should we, so the idea is that, you know, there's these, the, the law of God, um, there was a word of God, and God says, hey, see these, these, uh, the law of the Lord, you know, the, um, sorry, it's the word of God, basically. We want to, want to teach them the word of God. And he's saying, hey, teach these things, these precepts, these commands, what the word of God says. Teach them to your children diligently. Well, when? When should I teach them to my kids? Well, when you sit down and when you're walking around and when you're lying down to go to sleep and when you get up in the morning. It's pretty much all the time. Teach them to your children all the time. Um, make a simple, relatable connection between the Bible and real life. Okay? The the other day we were driving home. So a couple days ago I picked up a roadkill on the side of the road. It's legal in Oregon and Washington now, in case you didn't know. Three times now. Three times. Yeah. So so I picked up this roadkill and roadkill elk. Brought it home. And it's like, oh dad got a roadkill. Cool, you know, so we're, you know, scanning it, cutting it up and whatever. And it's like, it's, you know, it's the thing. He ever sees that. Oh, dad picked up a roadkill. Okay. So the other night we're driving home in the dark and these two deer run right in front of the truck. I'm talking right in front of the truck. And so I like slam on the brakes. Everett's right in the back. So I slam on the brakes and they go right in front of the heads. He goes, dad, he goes, why didn't you just hit him? <laughs> I go, oh, no, but we can't do that. That's illegal. Well, what do you mean? It's illegal. You, we, you just hit it, and then you pick it up as roadkill. I go, no, 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 it, it's not how it works. You know, it's only legal to pick up roadkill if, you know, it's already dead. Well, yeah, but so he, so he's kind of quiet for a minute, you know, and he goes, well, but, you know, you could just hit it and then just say that 
you know, it was just there and just pick it up. I'm like, no, it's illegal, man. We, we can't do that. And he's like, well, well, yeah, but no one would see, would they? Nobody, nobody would know. You could just do it. And then, and then they, nobody would see. You just say it was there and pick it up as roadkill. I'm like, no, no, man. And then all of a sudden, like the Holy Spirit, just like this little light bulb went off my head. I'm like, hey, Everett, you remember that story in the Bible when Moses killed the Egyptian? And he's like, yeah, I think I do. I'm like, yeah, I remember what he did. Moses saw the Egyptian and he was, what was he? He was beating one of his fellow guys. And it says, it says in there that Moses looked to the left and looked to the right. And then he struck down the Egyptian because he didn't think anybody was looking. And you know what happened? Somebody was looking. I go, first of all, Moses forgot to look up because Moses didn't think anybody was looking at him, but God was watching. And I go, if we hit that deer and it's illegally, even if nobody was watching us, God would know. I said, and I would know. I had said, but I've done some pretty bad things that I knew were wrong, and it makes it it made me feel really bad. It made me feel really sad about myself. Just it's it's a bad feeling to do wrong things and know that you've done something wrong, and God knows you did something wrong, even if nobody saw. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh. <laughs> and then I go, and by the way. Moses didn't think anybody was looking, but people saw him. And then he got scared and he had to run away. And the Pharaoh wanted to kill him and it was no good. He shouldn't have done it. He's like, yeah, it's true, huh? Somebody did see him, didn't they? I go, yeah. So, like, that's, that's, that was just a great way to informally say, man, here's a connection where, oh, and by the way, people that say that uh, kids are born, like, with a good nature, like, they're good, you know? But there's no way those people have had kids, right? <laughs> they must have not have had kids like oh yeah kids are perfect and their culture screws them up i'm sorry but i did not teach my son to you know ramp swerve and hit animals illegally no he came up with that one on his own i mean maybe in, in my my earlier life i would have thought that but but no not now so they need the word of god they need um our kids need to be able to relate the word of god be like yeah Instead of like, the Bible says this, I don't really know what this means. You know, my dad used to read the Bible to me a lot, but I just, I, there's no connection. We can, we have to make that connection for them, I think, where we can say, no, no, hey, this is wrong. And check out what the Bible says about this. Look what happened to Moses. You don't want to do that, man. And, and, um, I think that's super duper important for us as adults, even. I mean, we have to make those connections, but for kids, especially, um, also just, like another thing that's very important to this, I believe, is prayer. Um, I don't want my son to grow up knowing the Bible perfectly, but not knowing Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, "What he said to the Pharisees, you think, Lord, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that testify of me." So they they thought that they knew all the Scriptures, right? They knew the Bible. But they missed Jesus. They would not, could not believe in Jesus. And we need to be praying for our kids. As we're teaching them the Bible, instructing them in the Bible is that linkage. It's it's the linkage to knowing God, okay? But we also need to be praying for them um, to experience our Lord for themselves. When I got saved, I experienced the Lord for myself. Like, I can't explain it. It's mysterious. It's, it's unseen. But I experienced the Lord. 
And I want him to have that same experience, the experiential knowledge of Jesus. It starts with the word of God, but we have to be praying for them. Lord, just on our knees in prayer, praying for them to experience the Lord. Um, oh, and another thing too, we're pretty much out of time here, but we must be taking in the word of God. We as parents have to be reading the word. We have to be in prayer. We have to be taking instructions from the Lord, right? This verse is rendered a couple different ways. It says, uh, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think yours, the NLT said, the instruction that comes from the Lord. So we should be instructing our kids, but we also need to be receiving instructions from the Lord in order to instruct them. Jesus said, another thing that Jesus said, uh, something about, I, I forgot the verse now, but the blind man leads another, the blind can't lead the blind. Won't they both fall into a pit? You know, how can we expect to instruct our children in the Lord if we're not growing and learning and taking in from the word of God and learning from the Lord? Amen? Amen. Amen. I just want to, I guess, end by challenging, challenging all of us as parents, but challenging especially the fathers um, to be instructing your children in the word of God. Do you believe that knowing Jesus is important? Do you believe that the word of God is important to get through this life? Do you believe that your kids need to know Jesus and know the word of God in order to navigate through this life and not be overcome by evil? If you believe that, I hate to say, I I hate to use this term, we ought to be, we ought to, we should be doing, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing this. But if we believe those things, we need to be doing this. We need to be teaching our children. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have read the Bible 20 times. You don't have to have been a Christian for 50 years, 10 years, 5 years, whatever. The Lord can use us. The Lord can use what little bit of time you give. The Lord can use the smallest amount of faith the smallest amount of humility, the smallest amount, you take that little step toward the Lord and saying, we're going to commit to five minutes a night to reading a couple of verses. You know, the Lord can use that in a mighty way. We're going to commit to, you know, five minutes a week, maybe to start with. I don't know. But commit to something, to instructing your children in the word of God is so, so important in the world we live in. And I like that. I just wrote this down from Matt's notes at Psalm 94. Rest from days of trouble. That's what the Lord brings us. Amen. Amen. Anybody anybody got any questions about uh, instructing your kids? Practical ways to do that? Things you want to ask? Okay. Uh, Well, great job, gentlemen. I wanted to... uh, What's that? According to Dylan, you nailed it. Nice job. So you got the Dylan seal of approval. Hey, I just was going to read a couple stats that we, you know, we're going to agree with this because it's in the word, which is the most important thing. But here's the, here's just some stats, um, current thing about the importance of fathers, period. So, uh, now, yeah, kids growing up, um, without dads are four times more likely to end up in poverty. They're 10 times more likely to abuse substances. Um, 70, 1% of all adolescent substance abusers come from a fatherless home. Um, 80% of adolescents in psychiatric hospitals are from fatherless homes. They're twice as likely to commit suicide. 
nine times more likely to drop out of school. And I could read you some more all the way down through pretty much any negative indicator socially that you can measure. There's a correlation between uh, uh, fatherlessness. So, uh, guys, we, we really have an important role to play. And, you know, there's really research that goes beyond that even to just say father figures that can can help in that way. So, guys, if you're not a father or um, your kids are grown, you still have a role to play with the, with the children and in our community and certainly in our church. So important, I think. So thank you guys. I would say, if I may, uh, just before we end here, you all three of you guys and quite a few of the men I know in our church are really loving dads. And I think uh, one thing you brought up that I thought was cool about the Roman uh, mode, which I think still reflects in some models of fatherhood yeah. today, is just like, listen, what I, you know, it's my way or the highway. My word is law. And it's interesting that both in the Ephesians 6 passage and Colossians, he talks about the way the children kind of feel. Like, don't provoke your kids to anger. Don't exasperate your kids. And I think there's an older mindset sometimes. It's like, it doesn't matter if my kids are angry. It doesn't matter if they're exasperated. I'm the dad. That's how it is. So I, I appreciate, as a non-dad, watching, getting to watch men like you who, are, who care about your kids and that that shows up in the way that you do it. Because you, as you pointed out, God disciplines those that he loves. It's out of love that you're doing that. So anyways, from a guy who's got no kids, maybe that opinion means nothing, but I sure appreciate your example. Anybody else got any questions, final comments? All right, we'll, we'll pray and we'll be done. Jesus, here is a task that is beyond us for sure. I don't know any good dad or good mom that I've ever talked to at our church who doesn't feel inadequate or that they're, they're failing or that they're, they lack wisdom. So Lord, we pray you are the perfect parent. You're the, the our heavenly father the one that we want to follow and emulate. And I ask, Lord, that you would teach us um, as parents, as uh, people who play maybe a father-like role, and those who are indeed our fathers, would you give them and our moms wisdom to know how to do this? Would you give them that um, that ability to know how each, they were talking about each kid has their own bent, to know their kid and how to aim them, like Will was saying, how to adapt uh, discipline that, that would be restorative and training for each child. Lord, some people are probably listening to that tonight and going like, man, I've tried everything and I don't know what to do. Jesus, you said if we lack wisdom, you give it. So we pray that you would provide that for them. And I know so many people who talk about the desire. Yeah, I want to train my kids. I want to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. I'm intimidated by that. I don't feel like I know a lot myself. I pray that you would also... May they take encouragement from what Eric said to to step out into something, to begin to read or to speak about you with their children. Uh, we want this, Lord, because we know that, as Will pointed out, you love kids. You want them to come to you. And we want them to know you, not to just grow up, to be good little moral people, but to truly know you, Lord, to be preserved in their old age from many of the things that we've been through. And we know they've got to make that decision themselves. Lord, may we just point them in the right way and then release them to you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.